Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. Today, you're going to hear me speak with my dear old friend, Cheryl Binney. She is a Southern woman who has, uh, well, she thought about being an actress, and she worked on cruises, but not as an entertainer. She's even been a waitress, but what she really does extremely well is she writes, and she also coaches people in writing. So if you're a writer or you're interested in publishing, we talk about that. We also talk about the kind of coaching she does for people who need writing in business. And um, it's going to be a fun, entertaining conversation as always. Now, if you have questions for me or want to hear somebody in particular here or talk about anything, you can reach me at isthatreallylegal.com and leave me a message. Also, we really appreciate it here when you subscribe. And when you do that, regardless of what service you use, whether it's Audible or Apple or iHeartRadio or whatever outlet, um, it comes to you. This podcast comes to you unbidden. You need not do anything once you subscribe. But if you feel especially loving, you can leave a review. That also helps other people find this show. Um, so please do that. Also, grab some Abe's muffins. They are uh, allergen-free, taste great, come in lots of flavors. They even make brownies. And just buy them and shove them in your face. But for now, sit back, relax, and listen to me talk to Cheryl Binney. Cheryl Binney, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad to be here. It's so great to reconnect with you. It's been a while. Yeah, I haven't, I literally haven't seen or talked to you in years, although we've been friends on Facebook and we've seen yeah. each other's lives. Social media, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and other, exactly, like Instagram and all the others. I don't need to be an advertiser. All the social media. Um <laughs> So what's, what's interesting for me is um, things have changed for both of us in so many ways since I last saw you. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I approached you, there was an element of like, oh, I don't know. You like, you had what, it's very interesting. There's two types of people when I approach or I interact about my podcast. There are some people who are like, I have these 8 million things, which do you want to talk about? <laughs> or, oh, I couldn't possibly be of interest to your listeners. Um, those are the, the, the wide ranging of the spectrum. <laughs> and um, I think to set it up, I think you're incredibly interesting because you are, uh, I'm going to say young woman who has gone through an evolution professionally, personally, that a lot of people go through. And if nothing else, hearing you talk about your successes and your adventures and your perceived mistakes, I think is gonna, at the very least, let people know that they're doing their lives perfectly. <laughs> that, you know what I mean? I'm like, if nothing else, people will be like, well, that's cool. Not, not like, oh, I didn't make that mistake, but more yeah. like, oh, we all have this very serpentine kind of adventure. Nobody does a straight line. Yeah, so, so thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> well, it's my pleasure. So why don't we start out by just saying, how did you start out? Where are you from? 
Well, uh, originally Oregon, very small rural town in Oregon, but we moved when I was seven to Northeast Georgia. So from one of the wettest places in the U.S. to one of the wettest places in the U.S., just very different. Oregon, lots of drizzle. Northeast Georgia, torrential downpours. (laughs) Yeah, and so different culturally as well. Yes, that was definitely a culture shock. Still small town, kind of mountain community, but Appalachian mountain community in Georgia instead of, uh, you know, the Western Northwest mountain community. You know, and one of the first things I think of two big differences, there's of course big political differences in general. And also- You'd be surprised when you get into rural Oregon, it's actually very similar to a lot of oh. uh, the rural Southeast. Yeah. Okay, cool. I, you know, I found that- I was too true. young. I didn't know yeah. that at seven. So, <laughs> so did you register? No. Um, <laughs> but having lived in New York, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, exactly the same experience. You know, Philly, yeah. Philadelphia is one place, but Harrisburg and Erie are very different, even though they're- Yeah. I, I'm a New Yorker, so I don't think anything's a city, but they're big town. <laughs> Um, in Massachusetts, Boston, you know, in Newton and Framingham are very different from Springfield and Chicopee and all of this sort of place. Anyway, um, so you basically grew up in the South and for the most part. Yeah, yeah. And it was wonderful and beautiful. And I love it. I can, my parents are still there. So it's a great place to go back and visit. I'm in New York City now. So that, that was my route. <laughs> Most, you know, it's funny. I'm one of the few native New Yorkers I know. Like everybody's from somewhere. New yeah. York is kind of the Casablanca of the United States. Like people yeah. come here from everywhere. Um, and was there a dream that brought oh. you to New York City? Yeah, New York was a dream. Um, in high school, I took two field trips to New York. One was with... Um, uh, chorus and vocal ensemble. I sang in Carnegie Hall, you know, with 300 other kids. <laughs> um, and then the other was with the drama club. So that was, I just fell in love with the city and it was very much like a, I could see myself here one day. And then through college and after college had other trips to New York. And then finally there was one where I was like, I'm going to use this trip to see if this is where I want to go. And it was. <laughs> so I I don't know you from those worlds of drama and music. I know you more from writing, but it yeah. totally makes sense to me. Like I could see oh, yeah. you as an actress. I'm, one of my majors in college was theater. That was that was that was my thing. So when I was younger, if you asked me what I was gonna be when I would uh, grow up, it would always be author. Not just writer, it would be author because I thought that sounded, <laughs> sounded more legit. So I was going to be an author. And then I discovered theater in middle schoolish, I guess, and then high school. And that was like, you know, my eyes went directly to theater and stayed there for a very long time. Um, and you would think, oh, well, she's in New York now. Does that mean that she moved to New York and did the audition thing and tried to become an actor? No, I've never actually done that. <laughs> because when I graduated college, um, I had had a summer job where I was working on cruise ships. And then when I graduated, I was like, I want to do that full time for a little while because it's traveling, you get paid to see the world. And it's just, just a really different reality. Um, so I did that for a couple years. And then uh, when I was like, eh, this is not actually going to be a career with an upward trajectory that I like the looks of. Very stressful, very stressful jobs. 
Um, Let me back up a second because yeah, yeah. um, I had one other person so far on the podcast, my friend Mara Jill Herman, who is a professional actress and yeah. who worked on cruise ships as a performer. Um, and I've taken a couple of cruises in a past life where I could see being a performer on a cruise ship looked awesome. They did maybe two or three shows a week. And at least the cruises I did, they also did some entertainment on deck, like where they interacted yeah. with people doing yeah. improv games, or whatever. But for the most part, they went out on excursions with us and then disappeared because they knew the best places because they were on that cruise ship, that line for like oh, six nice. months. Yeah. So were you an entertainer on the cruise ships? Um, no, because on the lines that I was on, you had to be a singer or dancer. And I was neither of those. <laughs> so um, there was not just a spot for like an actor. Um, so I was in, I, when it was a summer job, I did the kids in the teens club. And then when I went back to do it full time, I did the cruise staff, assistant cruise director stuff. So I was like, you know, doing like hosting trivia and doing the game shows at night and hosting karaoke and, you know, making people enjoy their vacation. <laughs> I totally get that though. You know, in a way, when I went, I'm older, and I went to the Catskills as a kid. So like all those movies that you saw, like Dirty Dancing and, you know, Mrs. Maisel, yeah. when they go to the Catskills, yeah. I was at the tail end of that. And famous comedians and performers started their career being a person who ran around and const like, who would do Simon Says, for anybody who remembers that game, uh, but also would get people to have fun, like you're just saying, like, yeah. and they would go to the pool and like, you know, interact with guests and then go, you know, give the announcements here and, you know, all that. They basically were the energy creator. Yeah. So people didn't start to just fall. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that job was fun. That was a blast. You didn't make much money with it, but it didn't matter because you had room and board and you were traveling. But when you start to move up the totem pole, <laughs> that's when the jobs get really, really stressful. And, you know, you're on there for at least six months at a time, no weekends, no days off. You're working at least 10 hours a day, but you know, especially when you're higher up the totem pole, it's usually more like 16 to 18 hours a day back to back for six months. So now that's when I was meet. like, mm, oh, not a career yeah. <laughs> that I want. I did one six month stint where I was one of those higher ups and I was like, never mind. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, I've seen a couple of documentaries about cruise ship stuff. The most recent one was about how Corona affected that cruise ship that that was grim. Yeah. And uh, we don't have to get into that except to say, I remember having been on the ships. That's a very international community. Mm -hmm. It's not always celebrated. Right. And I, I wonder if that um, was educational in itself. Also. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I was on ships in like from, oh gosh, maybe like, 2003 to 2007-ish, 2008 maybe. So it's been a while. So I'm not sure what has changed from then till now. So any comments I make are based on, you know, old experiences. But um, yeah, yeah, it was eye-opening. It, it was fun because you made a lot of friends from very different places, but you also saw, uh, you know, the differences in, treatments even on a ship that was like you're our family but it's like they're even down to the point where like certain people only had one cabin mate and other people would have four to five cabin mates 
like steerage, like a, uh, during the movie, ti movie Titanic. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you go, where, what kind of places did you actually visit? Oh yeah, so a lot of the Caribbean, lots of that. Um, so What's your favorite Caribbean place? Mm, uh, Tortola. Never been, I Tortola, love Barbados. Yeah, yeah love Barbados? Barbados too, yep. Yeah. Sorry, please. What, no, what, I mean, again, this is all, it's been so long since, well, I went to Tortola after I moved to New York for a, a trip once. Um, but Tortola was my favorite there. So lots of the Caribbean, Mexico, um, Alaska. Alaska was probably my favorite run out of them all. It was just gorgeous and beautiful. We did Hawaii. I did a transatlantic and Mediterranean. Yeah, well, do you... It's like you joined the Navy, only never got shot at. That's nice. Yeah, yeah, just emotionally shot at. <laughs> well, <laughs> what I, service position. That that was another thing too. When I did like, I was the games and the fun. Everyone loved me, but when I was like in charge of like the front desk team, that's when you only saw people when they were really angry about things and they were being really horrible human beings to the women on vacation. You're on vacation in a beautiful place. What do you have to be so angry about? What like yeah. what happens? I, I don't expect you to like name names, but like what was one of those things that you people would oh, lose God. their mind over? Yeah, one of the most vivid ones was um a gentleman, I don't remember what his nationality was, somewhere in Europe, I think. Um, and he had broken English. He was a little bit older, but we were um it, I guess there was some kind of soccer tournament or there was a game that he really wanted to see and we were not in a satellite footprint so we couldn't get it and he was livid and he was at the front desk yelling at my team and at, my office was right behind it so anytime things got really bad I could hear it so I would go out um, but I remember his face was purple because he was so mad and spittle was flying out at the people oh. who were talking to him and yeah, it was one of those things where people would come back to my office to cry <laughs> multiple oh, wow. times a day. It was rough. It was rough. So when you go on vacation, hotel, cruise ships, wherever, just know that there it's it's rough. <laughs> wow, I, I bet you know the only thing I can remember about this, and then I will move us along, is when I've done when I cruise in the Caribbean. I remember I, I rented a small car in Barbados and drove around with the people I was with. And um, when you go beyond just the simple tourist part, the beautiful Caribbean islands have a, even Barbados, have a pretty dark side. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of poverty. Yeah. I, mean, I know some places are really crime ridden and they say, please don't go to anything mm -hmm. but this thing with yeah. our group or whatever. But some places we were just like, well, rent a thing. I mean, Barbados, you could drive it around. It's like tinier than Manhattan. It's like Governor's Island or something. And it's really doesn't take long to literally drive around the island. The whole thing, yeah. Um, which I thought was kind of cool, but it was also like, I got my first glimpse of, oh, this is not the whole, the whole world doesn't live like me. This is a whole different game. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think my first, well, my, my first experience with that was probably on cruise ships. I also did a study abroad in Brazil. That was wonderful and I loved it and I didn't want to leave, but it was also very eye-opening. Do you speak Portuguese? Um, a little bit. Um <laughs> pouquinho. Well, I'm not <laughs> going to put you on this. 
Yeah, I brushed up on it a little bit for a trip to Portugal a couple years ago, and I was very happy that I could communicate with people. And the thing that I was the happiest about was everyone was like, are you Brazilian? Because of my accent, I spoke uh, with a Brazilian accent, a carioca accent from Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> uh, well, there's worse things for people to assume about you. I know, right? That's great. <laughs> I speak Spanish well enough. We were in Madrid right before the pandemic. And I was able to have Holly and I take a tour of old Madrid, just the two of us with one guy who spoke no English. Yeah, that's, and, um, that's the best when you're like, I can navigate us. I can do that with Spanish. I can do that with French and Portuguese. And I'm learning Korean now. Maybe someday whoa. I'll be able to do that. <laughs> well, let, let's go now to you're done with the cruise ships. Done with the cruise ships. Yeah, so I went back to Northeast Georgia because I was kind of like, I... I kind of went through a dark period, Eric, <laughs> where I was like, people are horrible. Human well, beings this, are horrible. This is valuable, though, for the listeners, because I think, honestly, many of us go through this Yeah, in various parts of jaded. our lives. I was very yeah. jaded about people because I had had such horrible experiences. And I was like, I don't know what to do with myself. I thought that was going to be my career. So I went back to my parents' place, which I was never going to be the person who went back to my parents' place. Like, I went to college. And I, you had to like force me out of the dorms to go home for the holidays. And then I started working on cruise ships. So I didn't even have to go home on, not because I didn't want to be with my parents, but like, I was like, I wanted adventure. I wanted to be out and doing new things. So it was like, it felt like identity crushing failure that I had to go back home to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I was also jaded about people in general. So that was interesting, an interesting period, but I started waiting tables when I was there because I was like, I don't know what else to do. <laughs> mm. So I started waiting tables and that slowly got me back and be like, okay, people can be great. It's still the service industry. So you still got jerks and weird situations. But yeah, when I first met you, you were like was a major D or waiting tables. I can't remember. Yeah, exactly. I was waiting tables in New York. Um, I think at that point. It was in the village, maybe it was a really nice place. Um, in New York, I worked at two places, Spice Market um, no. in the meatpacking and then Chiano, which was a fancy Italian in um, Flatiron. That was the place. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I did the table thing for a while, but when I was back home in Georgia, did, did a little bit of like soul searching and stuff and kind of circled back around to like, oh, I think I want to write. I think that's, I, I, that's what I used to want to do. And I started kind of just having ideas for things, for, for stories and characters and stuff that I really wanted to tell. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do, but I still need to make money. <laughs> so I remember I was like researching ways to make money on the side and it was stuff like walking dogs and house sitting and stuff. And then it was like freelance writing. And I was like, Oh, tell me about that. So I remember researching that some more and then kind of not actually following that through, but getting sucked into the world of learning about entrepreneurship and having online businesses. So I was learning about that for a while and dabbled in a few different business ideas and then moved to New York at some point during all of that and was still trying to figure out, I, I knew I wanted a business so I could support myself so I could write fiction. <laughs> and my logic was, I don't know. Um, but I just didn't want a normal nine to five job. I didn't want a corporate ladder kind of job. Um, so and all those, all those experiences fuel... Uh, great creative writing. Yeah. I mean, you meet characters every day in a restaurant. <laughs> I think so, yeah. yeah. So I was waiting tables at night so I could uh, do some work during the day. And then I finally discovered that writing could be a business, copywriting for other business owners, like writing their websites, writing their 
their marketing emails and their, their long form sales pages. And the first person who hired me was our mutual friend, Alex Jameson, who was recently on your show. <laughs> she was asking me one night, she was like, how's the, how's the novel writing going? I was like, oh, well, I put it on pause because I'm learning how to do this thing called copywriting. And she was like, oh, I have a sales page I don't want to write. Can I pay you to write it? <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> And then she started referring me out to all of her other business friends and it just kind of took off from there. And that's been my thing. I did it part, like part-time while I was still waiting tables for a year. And then I quit the restaurant job and I've been doing that full-time since 2013. Yeah. I want to stop for a second to talk about copywriting because anyone who's listening to this, everybody reads something every day. I'd be shocked if people go through a day without reading something. Yeah, yeah and we should clarify the difference between like legal copyright and like- Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. I'm yeah. not talking about copyright, which is an ownership issue in a yeah. certain work. When you're talking about copywriting, you're literally talking about writing copy. That is somebody opens up a website and it yeah. says, hi, we're company ABC. We yeah, do the following. And, yeah. and anyone- I mean, you can literally just do that. Re, re, I'm sorry, if, as a human being these days, we're really surfing the web more than ever. Yeah. We all know when you open a website, you go, oh, this is just terrible. I can't read this. Or something's written in a way like, oh, this is engaging. And mm -hmm. also the design of it, like, oh, there's stuff to click on. And it makes yeah. sense and it's clear. Yeah. And as opposed to, wait, I'm lost. How do I negotiate this? So yeah. there's that stuff. And then there's also promotional materials for businesses that are actually kids. There's stuff that's not on the internet. It's called printed materials. <laughs> um, and there's yeah. that kind of thing. There's advertising. There's, and I bet, I, I know there are services. I don't engage them. I write all my own stuff, but I'm also a professional writer. But there are lawyers who don't want to write blogs. There are companies that write blogs for lawyers or yeah. other professionals. So just to let people know what that world is that you operate in. Yeah, and um, I think sometimes I meet people who are like, well, I want to be a writer, but you can't make money doing that. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> I'm looking at a beautiful apartment behind you. I'm not going to ask where. Well, let me ask, where in town is it without giving me your address? Where Astoria. are you? Okay, well, but you know what? Astoria is awesome. And I, I, I have some favorite places all over our city. As you know, I live in Brooklyn with Holly, my wife. Yeah. Um, and I'm definitely a Brooklyn-centric person. But uh, we have a cousin who lives in Astoria. And many of my professional actor friends, people you have seen on Broadway or on TV, yep. we nickname it Actoria. I don't know if you've heard <laughs> of it. Because so many, so many actors, I bet you see actors that you know. I know I see actors yeah. in my neighborhood. but Yeah, I have. I, I was kind of a creeper one day and there was someone I sat next to her on the train because I knew she was she wasn't uh, I don't think she was a Broadway actor but I had seen her on um it's a YouTube thing there's videos where it's like the Disney princess stuff and it's like actors like professional actors and a lot of Broadway ones who come on and they sing songs and I had seen her on that and I was like were you Snow White? <laughs> Trust me that's not nearly as creepy as some of the things that have happened not by me. I mean, I've held the door open for Carrie Russell, for people who don't know from the Americans or August oh, yeah. Rush or, well, Felicity yeah. for those of us who are really old. Yeah. Um, and Michael Sarah lives in my neighborhood. And like, but yeah. thank God my wife bought when it wasn't cool. Now we're <laughs> surrounded by movie stars. It's kind of fun. Uh, but yes, Astoria, beautiful. Yes. And what my point was not to have people track you down. 
because <laughs> the story is a big place. It was more like, oh, you're making a living doing this. I, I think it, yeah. it matters that you have a brain, that you're educated, that you're interested. Like, what do you think is the driving force of what you do? Do you find that you have to get curious about the assignment? And like- Yeah, well, so I don't do a lot of writing for people anymore. I, I moved into more where I teach people how to do the writing for their business and I coach them through it. So, um, but when I was doing more of the writing, I, I got clear very quickly. And part of this was because I, Alex kind of like, it was like serendipitous and perfect because I realized very quickly that I prefer writing for people with a personal brand where the voice of the business is them like coaches, speakers, experts, um, of which Alex is certainly one. Yes. Yeah. So, and not so much like tech companies or people selling a widget or a physical product where it's just like we need a brand voice for the business but it's not an actual human behind it um I preferred working with someone where I could talk to them and I I am a lifelong learner I just love learning stuff so by working with all these coaches and experts one of the things that would happen is I'd be like this is not a topic that I'm an expert in but part of my process, because it had to be in their voice and it was their wisdom that they were sharing is we'd be on the phone and whatever project we were working on, web page or email campaign, I knew what kind of material we needed to get for it. So I'd be asking them questions to pull that out of them. And it was like, it was just fun because I got to geek out with an expert on something who was super excited to talk about it because that was their passion. And I got to learn a whole lot. So it was really just meeting people at the like, let's geek out together level. (laughs) I feel the same way about the entertainment law things that I do. Of course, I know contracts and I know publishing and certain other things, but there are elements within like, you know, if someone's doing a movie about something that I don't know about, I get to become more involved in that. And if a book, you know, someone's publishing a book, I get to learn more about that. You know, having been a literary agent, I know about romance as a genre, but even in that, you know, someone saying, oh, I'm doing a romance uh, that's set in ancient Egypt, but then it comes forward into the present day. I'm like, I don't know Jack about ancient Egypt. <laughs> so yeah I, I, yeah, I feel like lifelong learner. You just, I just want to let listeners know I think that's the key to success in any endeavor, the curiosity and, and being willing to say, I don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. When I decided I wanted to do, you know, have my own business, I learned anything and everything I could signed up for a year long program and was in it for like multiple years actually. But because I was just obsessed with learning everything that I possibly could and now I teach other people a lot of stuff. I coach in other people's business training programs. So that's fine you, too. Do you use experts? You know, for instance, look, I do some of my own financial stuff as a bookkeeper or at certain day-to-day things for my organization. Yeah. I, I'm incorporated, but I also have a great CPA. I would not, my taxes get complicated yeah. because of being a corporation. And I'm not going to spend the time and then put something together that may be not great when I've got a guy like this is what he does. Yeah. You know, like, do you feel so when you're, I don't know if you've incorporated. Um, no, I'm not, but it's my business model is very, very, very simple. It's just me. And then I have a virtual assistant. Um, and then I occasionally hire out, you know, graphic design help or tech help. Um, I've got a bookkeeper. I've got someone who does my taxes. So yeah, when I have stuff, 
I go to, I go to other people because I am a lifelong learner, but there are some things that I'm not interested in learning. <laughs> well, like the virtual assistant thing. Uh, every now and then people talk to me about that experience. Can you, yeah. can you talk to us about what made you pull the trigger and what the virtual assistant kind of does for you? Yeah. I, so my first experience with working with a virtual assistant was when I was hosting a very large online event called a summit where I was interviewing a lot of different experts. And I had like a tech person who was building the site. I had a, a project manager who was managing all of the project pieces behind it. And it, there were just a lot of moving pieces that I was like, I don't have time to handle it all. So I hired someone to help me with that for that project on a project basis. And then I was like, oh, that was really nice. <laughs> so um, I eventually, so I would do that every time I had a big project, I would bring someone in for extra help. And then eventually I got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm making the money and I don't need to be like handling the minutia of my calendar and going back and forth with people over email and um, like doing the on onboarding new clients. That, that always took me a really long time with like sending out the agreement and setting up our shared Google folder and sending their questionnaire and all the payment stuff. So that was one of the main things that made me want to get a virtual assistant and, and also like following up with people um, on invoices because I would not do it. <laughs> I'd be like, well, I don't want to bother. I don't want to ask them to pay me. What if they're having a rough month? So like, I wouldn't follow up. <laughs> right. So that was another thing I wanted to hand off to someone else. She has no emotional hangups about asking people to pay me <laughs> and running their credit cards. Now, a lot of it is automatic now, but um, when it's not, she's still the one who, who does it for me. You know, sometimes one of the things I do for people, especially in the entertainment field or publish, publishing is a subcategory of that, is I'm their professional a-hole. Yeah, I don't necessarily you need one. do it. You need one of yeah. those. <laughs> and I don't necessarily do a thing that's only a lawyer could do, but I'm absolutely comfortable saying, hi, we were promised this on this date. Where is it? Why isn't it here? Yeah. Please give me that information, whether it's money or a contract or some kind of thing that we need. Yes. And it can also be the thing. It's like so-and-so can't do that thing. And that way also, let's just say it's um, an author, just as an example. Mm -hmm. I would do this as an agent, but I could certainly do it. I could do this as a lawyer too. Um, I, I'm able to tell them not to do something. And then if they want to tell them, they're like, oh, I really wanted to do that. But Eric said I shouldn't. And I'd love yeah. to help you, but I got to listen to him. I mean, I pay him. And, you know, and yeah, yeah. can you, if you have a problem, could you tell him? So that basically they can always be the reasonable person, the happy, peppy, lovey, and I'm just that jerk who, you know, <laughs> keeps you from exploiting my client. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Especially when you're dealing with, you know, multinational corporations who claim they can't pay people, you know, like, I, oh, yeah. I, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, we can only afford $1,000 for this thing that's really worth 5000 As soon as you sign here, I'll get back on my corporate jet and, you know, into <laughs> my giant office. And, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I... I I'm glad we're talking about this because first of all, I, I'm not going to ask your age, but you are younger. Oh, I don't care. I'm 38. Great. <laughs> I and, don't care. But it's, okay, cool. So there's, you know, there's a lot of pre, uh, pre the prejudices or preconceptions about how to be a successful business person, especially mm -hmm. in New York city or in, in a, a place that melds creativity and business. Yeah. And if people saw you, you do look like a Disney princess, quite honestly. You probably could <laughs> be, you, you know, like you've got that bell kind of quality. 
she's not quite I'll a princess, it. but she's the bookworm. Know. I'll take it. <laughs> and you know, you have a lovely voice. You have a little bit of the southern left, which I'm sure when you want to, you can crank it up, can't you? Um, yes and no. I mean, I, I have to be around the people where I'm from because like southern accents are so different everywhere you go. So the one that you learn like in acting school is usually to me, it sounds completely fake. Cause I'm like, that doesn't sound like any of the people I grew up with. So it goes up more when I'm actually surrounded by people from that place. But if you were to ask me to do it, I would do a Southern accent, but the people where I'm from would be like, she doesn't sound like us. <laughs> right, well, for people who don't know, I, and actually when I was an actor, I performed in a series of sketches. And in one, I had to be a kid from Little Rock. <laughs> or I chose, they were somewhere in the South and I chose to be something specific because I was, my girlfriend at the time was from Little Rock and I learned that I had to talk way in the back of my throat. Yeah, and yeah. And that's a very different kind of thing uh-huh. than like if I was in Texas. Yeah. And by the way, Texas is like, are you from Plano? Are you from Dallas? Are you from Port Arthur? <laughs> you know, so like, yes. So people yeah. like me in New York who have a, uh, don't understand Southern accents, don't show your butt. Like the South is very different. It's not just one big place. There's <laughs> lots of, I mean, someone from Atlanta is very different from someone from Savannah. Yeah. And it's just yeah. all, and that's, they're closer than say, then the ultimate South from my point of view is like Pensacola. Like that's <laughs> Florida, but like, I don't understand anything they say over there. Right, in the right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, did you go into the business that you were doing as you started to see, oh, there's numbers. It's not just speaking. I also have to like a, do accounting. Was oh, yeah. that? Yeah, like there's all the stuff time? where you're like, this is the business I want to do. This is the thing I'm good at. This is the thing I enjoy. And then you quickly realize that there's a lot more <laughs> to having a business that actually makes money and is sustainable. And you do have to learn that even if you don't necessarily do your own bookkeeping you do have to learn. And for the first few years, I was doing my own taxes. Um, but yeah, you you do have to realize there's stuff to talk about, like cash flow and projections and knowing your numbers and setting your quarterly goals and, and understanding expenses and revenues and net and profit and all of that stuff that a lot of people, when they get into, they're like, I'm going to start my own business. They don't know that stuff. And that's fine. If you're listening to this and you want to start your own business and you're like, I don't know any of that stuff. Don't let that stop you. That's all learnable stuff. There are so many people out there who will be more than happy to teach you how to navigate that stuff. You just have to be aware that you do need to learn it because I meet some people who they call themselves business owners and entrepreneurs, and they've been doing it for five years or 12 years. And then you find out that they don't actually know anything about running a business and it's a little bit more of like an expensive hobby yeah oh boy that was that was my acting career and <laughs> my best year I made not enough to be considered a real business uh and I had some success yeah, yeah. and you know that's fine I think that's another uh, misconception that a lot of people have if they're like their first year two years three years five years they're not making good money or they're not even making a profit if you think about like a lot of businesses like a restaurant or a store, they don't make a profit for the first five years or so. But when we go into business for ourselves, we get really, it's, it's like your self-worth is tied up in that a little bit more when it's you and it's a personal brand, like the coaches and experts that I work with. Um, there's, there's a lot more self-identity wrapped up into that. And it's kind of hard to 
if again, if you don't know about the world of business to be like, this is normal for businesses. And another thing that happens for a lot of people, we're just going on a business tangent right now. That's great. Is, That's um, why you're here. When you're starting like a solo business, a lot of times you have to put stuff on credit cards and you're using your own money to pay for things. Whereas, and then, and then you feel really guilty and you feel a lot of shame around that. Whereas a lot of other businesses, they go to the bank and they get a loan for stuff. And it's, it's like a completely different way of how do you get that capital to get started? So there's just like a lot of stuff to navigate where depending on the type of business you're doing, there's stuff that's going to trigger you emotionally in different ways. Now, while you were doing this, did you already have the handsome guy in your life? Uh, yeah. So I met him right around the time that I was like, this is what I'm doing. And I was starting to take my copywriting courses and stuff. And the, the writing fiction was still, it was still there, but it was very much, my plan was I'll start a business so I don't have to have a day job. And then I can write fiction whenever I want to. That was, that was the plan. And it's actually now getting there. Like I'm, that's what I'm doing now. Um, but yeah, so I met him right around the time where I was like, I'm going to do copywriting. And he was super supportive. He actually built my very first website for me. And <laughs> I mean, I think that's also, you know, guys, when I talk to men and I don't have a ton of men on the podcast, cause I purposely have been trying to have women, queer people. Well, there's men queer people, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to open this up to m more voices than we'd usually hear from, yeah. but uh, you know, our society and again, I'm a cis male, almost 60 years old. So maybe I'm talking out of my butt here, but it feels like we are teaching uh, women that relationships are far more important than business. And that, um, look, you know, you, at least when I was growing up, it was dolls and easy bake ovens, you know, it yeah. wasn't cash registers and trucks and whatever. So what, you know, to find a guy or a partner of any kind, because I don't want to get into the whole gender crisis. It is pride while we're talking anyway. Yeah. So like just find somebody part of the calculus of a good relationship. And I would say this is someone that supports your dreams and your ambitions. I mean, yeah. I know I have that. It yeah. sounds like you do. Can you speak Absolutely. to that a little bit? I sure can. Um, because there's, there's also like a sliding scale on that. Um, so like, Matt was amazing right from the get-go. And I remember there was one year where I was thinking of making um, like a $20,000 investment in something. That's <laughs> a big number. It sure is. <laughs> and I was expecting him to talk me out of it. <laughs> and he did not. He was like, well, I think you have to do it. And I was like, oh, he was my my last hope. <laughs> <laughs> right, you're on, it's like you're, you've got your wax wings. Yeah. You've got them on and you're at the cliff on a very yeah. sunny, hot day. And you're like, yeah, maybe this isn't a good idea. He's like, no, I'll give you a chef. Yeah, that's exactly what it felt like. Yeah. Cause it was like, if it, if it fell through and I was short on money for a while, he was the one who was going to have to, you know, help me pick up the slack with stuff. Um, so he was great. So there, but I also, because I coach a lot of people and I'm also in other people's business training programs where I coach their clients, I see a whole range of what supporting your dreams looks like from, from partners. Some people are wholehearted in all the way. They're like, yes, do it. Yeah. Spend the money on that. Yeah. Do that. But for others, it's scary watching your partner be like, I'm going to spend money on this thing. And you, the partner knows, well, you spent money on this other thing and it didn't go anywhere. So there's also like the history, like the track record that can be involved in it. There's also, um, a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, I've heard entrepreneurship talked about like 
um, entrepreneurship is like a crash course in self-growth, like you, like personal development, you know, you have, you have to grow in order to like get past your triggers and get out of your comfort zone for stuff. And so the entrepreneur is doing that, but the partner isn't necessarily doing that. So the entrepreneur might be, you know, growing out of their comfort zone at a faster rate than the partner. So sometimes for the partner, that can be scary too. Like, well, you're changing or, well, you're doing stuff that you never used to do. So there's also a little bit of understanding that can go both ways. And then there's the partners who are just, they'll just put up a brick wall for everything. And they, they naysay everything. They make fun of the business. They talk down. They don't even have a business. Like (laughs) there was someone, um, just the other day in one of the programs, she was, she was laughing about it. And, and, but she was saying, yeah, I just overheard my husband the other day telling people that I was retired (laughs) and I had to set that straight, (laughs) you know? So it's like, there's, there's a whole gamut. And then the other thing too, that I've seen from a lot of entrepreneurs is they don't communicate with their partner about what's going on or, or any of their family members or friends. And sometimes it's hard because people who are not entrepreneurs don't understand what you're going through on a daily basis. They just, they don't get it. So it's hard to have that communication sometimes. But then I see some entrepreneurs where they don't tell their family members anything. And like then suddenly they get all this equipment shows up at the house. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And this? they get upset when the partner is like, Uh, what you're doing what and they're like my partner's not supportive and it's like well did you did you have you talked to your partner have you talked to your partner about like the intense emotional things that happen when you are an entrepreneur that people with a nine-to-five day job just don't experience sorry for the noise of brooklyn in the background by the way that's that's how you know it's authentic yeah um i'm really like yeah (laughs) um but what you're saying is i I totally relate to this you know my wife has a i wouldn't call it nine-to-five job but it's a because she has had some incredible late hours even during the pandemic. But in general, she's not a weekend person. And sometimes weekends are when I catch up on like yeah. emails that I can't make money off of, but I still need to read still or that, you know, uh, and research of certain things that I can't bill to somebody, but I need to do or continuing legal education or whatever. Yeah. And so I'm very much like, oh, I'm going to be working at this time. And we've taken vacations where I bring my laptop and sure enough, I was in Sicily on an olive plantation (laughs) when a client of mine needed me to review a contract. I said, I'm in Sicily. And he said, well, can you tell me who else I could hire then? And I was like, (laughs) I'll do it. It's like, it was, it was not a great moment of a client understanding. Right. And, um, but instead of, you know, I, I, at that time, I felt yeah. I needed to hang on to the client who's no longer a client, by the way, uh, <laughs> which is a whole other blessing. And we could talk about that too, knowing when clients shouldn't when be with you anymore. When let go and, uh, and boundary pushing and yeah. all of that. Yeah, yeah. But there I am in an olive plantation, beautiful place. My wife is doing some kind of tour and I'm sitting at my laptop next to another person I knew who's smoking a cigar and drinking a glass of wine. And I am <laughs> details of the contract. Uh-huh. Um, but that's just the nature of the beast. So yeah, let's, I think there are times where you do need to put your foot down and you're like, this is actual vacation. This is sacred time. And then there are times where it's like, I can work, but I think even with that, it's still healthy to, um, put boundaries around the work time when you are on vacation. Like I'm only going to work for two hours or four hours on this day or something, but you also have to back to communicating with your loved ones. You have to communicate with that communicate that to them too. Like I remember I used to visit my parents and my mom would just be like, she's working the whole time, but they're entrepreneurs too. So they were like, they got it. But also like, 
it, they didn't have like a laptop type business like I did. And so I could tell there would be times where it's like, why is she working still? Why is she working still? So I had to learn to communicate, okay, this is a time where I'm going to be working. And then this is a time that we can have together. Right. So it's I do also the same. taking care of your loved ones as well. Right. And I do that with clients too. Every year, with the exception of the last one because of the pandemic and one before when my wife uh, got sick, she's fine. But um, uh, when I couldn't be there, I, I go to Costa Rica for either one or two weeks at a time with people you know also, Aaron and Shia King. And I make an agreement that I'm not going to do any technology down there. So I tell my clients ahead of time, and it's like, you can't get me. So like, we, we figure out what needs to happen. Your technology is taken away from you. Like it's, no, not, it's, not, it's not even that you're ignoring it. <laughs> well, it's not, I mean, it's not like it gets locked up by anyone, but me, you just yeah, make an yeah. agreement. So yeah. I literally put my laptop in a drawer mm-hmm. and it's done. Same with my phone. It goes on air, airplane mode. And I may I have an agreement. I'm not going to open it up except as a camera for anything until the week is over. And by the way, it's amazing how um, I'll be doing something during the day. I won't have my phone in my pocket. Like it's the only time in my life where I go anywhere. And I will feel a hum, a phantom hum. Ooh. Yeah. And then for the first two days, I notice how often I reach for a phone that's not there to check, to jump on Twitter, to make sure my emails are. And that's by the end of that week, my experience has been. I'll go on Twitter just to see what happened. I'm like, why is everyone so angry? <laughs> I can't do Twitter very much like because it just gets me, yeah. I'm but doing it less and less. That same experience. So. I've been on that retreat in Costa Rica and I remember the same experience. And then the other thing that I noticed too was um, the people who host this retreat, they don't give you an itinerary. There's no agenda. They'll tell you like at the end of a session, now this is where you need to be at this time for the next session, but you don't get like a printed sheet with right. an entire agenda. And that drove me crazy the first couple of days. I was like, I need to know where I need to be. But then the I think I, I scheduled a massage on one day and um, that was the only thing that I could like, hang on to. I was like, okay, I have a massage at three o'clock on Tuesday, massage at three o'clock on Tuesday. Like my brain needed something to latch onto. And then when that was gone, I was like, I didn't, a whole like two days before I was able to just be like, oh, there's no schedule. I, yeah, my brain kept trying to remind me, Mm. give me these little adrenaline jolts. Like you're forgetting something, you're forgetting something. And I was like, no, I'm not. At the end of that week, I'm always the most relaxed. Yeah. And the most open, um, yeah. I I'm curious. Do you have any? I, I know friends of mine who have serious rules about their phone or about media, and others who don't. Um, do you have rules about that stuff for you mean yourself? Just in general, normal. yeah. Like I don't. After a certain hour, I don't do this. Or my this particular day, I don't open my phone. Or yeah. I only answer emails from here to here because I feel that the way that I for me. The clients that I serve, I have to look at when the phone rings, I'm needed. That's the universe telling me, here's somebody that you need to take care of. And now that's my, that's not true for everybody, I'm sure. So some people may be like, I only do calls from three to five. So you can leave me a message, you can do this, but that's, that's my time to deal with them. And I, that just doesn't work for me. Do you have a way of doing that? Um, yes and no. It's more like this is how I like to operate and I don't necessarily 
broadcast that to everyone. It's just, so for me, it's people who are scheduling um, their coaching sessions with me. So they get access to my calendar and they choose a time that I have listed as available. So I don't necessarily have to tell them I don't do morning meetings. It's just the, all they see are afternoon slots. Do you use um, that scheduling? What is that scheduling app that uh, everybody has? There's a lot has? of them. There's a lot of them. So um, I use one called Acuity. A-C-U-I-T-Y, and that gives you a lot of flexibility, big learning curve. But if you wanted something that was a little bit simpler, Time Trade is one, Calendly, like Calend. Calendly is the one I see a lot. Yeah, that one's used a lot. So it's just something where you don't have to go back and forth over email. And then by the time you decide on something, like someone else has asked for that same time slot and you're like, ah. So it's just, it syncs it up with my Google Calendar. It pops up. I'm like, oh, someone scheduled something with me. Great. Um, but I'm kind of controlling over what I have available and on what days. So I have some days where I don't have any availability for stuff. Um, the other thing for me is I'm very clear on, uh, what's called your chrono rhythm, where it's, um, your rhythms throughout the day. And Daniel Pink has a great book on this called when the, science science of perfect timing or something like that just daniel pink when and it talks about the concepts of use timing for a lot of stuff but a big portion of the book is figuring out what are your own natural rhythms and he talks about it where everyone has three phases that you go through in a day one is your peak where you are on and you can do analytical stuff you can do executive thinking and make decisions and you're driven so that's your peak and then there's your trough where you're not good for anything that's where most people need to take a nap in the afternoon <laughs> the afternoon slump and then there's um rebound or recovery time where you're kind of coming back up but that's where you can do a lot of creative work a lot of collaborative stuff and different people have different rhythms now most of the population it's like morning peak afternoon trough evening rebound but it still slides some people are like extreme morning people some people are a little later in the morning and then I am a morning person just completely like completely different from the normal population and I tried to fit myself into morning people's routines for a very mm. very very long time and then even when I got clear on like I'm just not a morning person it's never going to work and I would schedule my stuff later in the day but I would still feel guilty all morning <laughs> I'd still be like I should be doing stuff but then when I read this book and I got clear on some more stuff, I was just like, you know, I don't. And, you know, writing fiction, um, I was tracking my metrics in a spreadsheet. It was like, where was I? Time of day? What was my word count? There was a very stark difference <laughs> between when I tried to do stuff in the morning versus afternoon and evening. So if you can get clear on what really and truly works for you, that can help too. Um, but there are some people where you can't, you have a job and you have to function the way the rest of the world expects you to function. But that was for me, another part of wanting my own business is wanting to be able to do my own schedule and have something that works for me. Before I leave your business world, cause I do want to get to your creative situation. Mm -hmm. How can people get in touch with you? If they're like, that's Cheryl Binney. I'd love to learn more, <laughs> work with her or learn more about her. How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, my website for that is copylove.com. Love is spelled with a U, so it's copyluv.com. And um, sorry, all of Brooklyn's fire trucks are going by. So I hope <laughs> you, let me mute my thing. And can you say that again? 
Yeah. So my business website for copywriting and messaging is copylove.com. So C-O-P-Y-L-U-V.com. Love is spelled L-U-V, copylove.com. There's lots of blog articles on there about writing and messaging. I've got free courses. There's one called Copy That Resonates. You'll see it right on the top of the homepage. And that is learning how to write in a way that resonates with your target market and your ideal your ideal clients, people that you're really trying to attract in. How do you find the language? And now I've got engines outside my window. <laughs> find the language and use the language that is going to make them feel like, oh, that's my person. So that's, that's awesome. my website. I'm on Instagram, um, not too not too regularly, but uh, copy love at copy love is uh, the business Instagram at Cheryl Binney. You'll see me there, but that's more for personal and the fiction stuff. Good transition time now. So. I get you're a very successful business person, but we also know that you are a writer. And when we first uh, re-met, um, you're like, oh, I don't have anything published to talk about. And I was like, perfect. Because <laughs> my, my, almost everyone who listens to this doesn't have something published. And they feel like no one is doing this with them or no one's relatable or whatever. But I feel like you have a lot to offer people by talking about your experience of writing fiction. So uh, I don't know where we start with this, except <laughs> to say, what, first of all, who are your favorite authors? Oh, goodness gracious. So I'm a huge dork. So fantasy, science fiction, um, young adult fantasy and stuff like that. So um, Brandon Sanderson, epic fantasy. And he also does some YA stuff. That's fantastic. Uh, Lainey Taylor. She does YA fantasy that is just beautiful and lyrical and evocative and amazing. Um, Susan Dennard, she's YA fantasy. Uh, Mary Robinette Cole, she does a lot of different stuff. Um, N.K. Jemison, she does she does like lots of stuff too, but like fantasy where it's like fantasy like you've never seen it and it will blow your mind every single time. Now when we- so what is that? I've lost the ability to speak. So <laughs> I get that those are your favorite authors. Do you do that kind of writing or what's your genre? Yeah, so I am working on young adult epic fantasy. So like secondary world and magic and all that, all that kind of good stuff. And um, so you've confided in me that you don't have anything published yet. Is that accurate? That is accurate. Um, and the other piece of that, puzzle is I plan on going the indie publishing route or self-publishing, but I plan on doing it under my own indie publishing label. Like I'll, right. I'll, I'll start my house and the author <laughs> I publish will be me. You're not the first to do this. And there's plenty of good stuff out there to do that. And I think that having the knowledge of marketing and how to interact about the stuff is, is really important. Um, do you, so you are not the kind of person who's interested in ever getting an agent? Possibly. So um, basically my goal goal is to be able to make money with it so I can either replace the business or like balance it in a way where I can really focus a lot on the fiction. And um, because I am familiar with online marketing and I like to get into that kind of stuff and I like having control over it. Um, I feel like that's just a better avenue for me because, you know, if I'm traditionally published, I don't get to see my sales metrics right away, if ever, I'm not sure. 
Um, I don't get to say, I want to put my book on sale so I can participate in this promotion. I don't get to see my Amazon author stuff. So I want all of that control because I know I will use it and I will, I will keep learning because that's what I do. I learn. So I want that kind of control. And so I think that's a better avenue for me to get to the point where I could be making money on stuff. And then if that goes, then maybe someday I will pursue getting an agent to try to do what's called hybrid publishing, where you have some books that are self-published and some that are traditionally published. The key there is you can't have like completely ruined your career as a self-published author by that point or put out really, really terrible books. <laughs> well, there are people you have who to just... use a pen name. <laughs> exactly. Um, but sometimes people do that also for different heat levels, like in romance, or, yeah. but there's different heat levels in all genres. So let's yeah. say, you know, with a YA epic fantasy, your heat level, and I'm talking about sexuality, mm-hmm. is not, generally is not going to be super high. There's possibly going to be sex, but it's what we're, you know, consider like- closed door. Like exactly. The, like you can tell where it's going. And I, I am writing more mature young adults, so not the, the lower end of- age range for that but it's like you know where it's going something steamy is going to happen but then it's like fade to black (laughs) right and then there's other people who are writing not YA and I think it's important to understand young adults you know you're going to creep out publishers parents you know agents when you have incredibly graphic sex scenes in a YA I'm sure frankly I can't think of one that's happened I used to represent somebody who had a very violent scene in a YA that I well, felt- that's okay in YA. Be, there is know, a lot of violence in YA. <laughs> but I did find it disturbing. And um, well, obviously I'm not an agent anymore and they're not my clients anymore. They, but um, I think that's just everybody's taste level. You know, yeah. I, I personally prefer sex over violence, uh, certainly <laughs> to my entertainment. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think the world would be a better place if yeah, we I do think more it's interesting. Violence. I do think it's interesting that sex scenes are the ones that get flagged and you know concerned parents and just like the whole gamut of stuff. It, like sex stuff is more taboo still than like horrific scenes of violence. <laughs> you know, there's a, I don't know if it's still true, but I saw some articles in either Texas or somewhere else. You know, you couldn't get mail order, uh, I don't know how to put this, sex toys. Let me just say, it was very hard to purchase them, but <laughs> you could get a gun yeah. anywhere. Yeah. And it's just a kind of screwed up value system in this country mm-hmm. or certainly parts of the country. Um, yeah. I don't have an answer to that except to shine a light on America. Can we please do a little better? Yeah, uh, yeah. There. Well, it's not up to Cheryl, so sorry it's to put not. you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree with you. <laughs> uh, oh, that's great. So we're going to be wrapping up soon because I've had you for quite some time, and I'm sure you need to get back to work because there's lots of clients who need you. Um, is there a way that for people to find out more about your creative? Well, it's all creative, quite honestly, and that's a, I just want to point out your business is a very creative venture, but let's say your, your YA fantasy stuff. Do you have anything available yet for people to watch or not even just the books, but like a 
a platform that you've created yet? Um, Instagram's probably going to be the one where I'm doing the most. I do have, you know, my CherylBinney.com and all of that, but there's nothing on it. It's like, oh, were you looking for Cheryl's copywriting? Business <laughs> uh-huh. go here, the copylove.com. But that will be my author website at some point. But where I probably do the most talking about it is Instagram. And that is at Cheryl Binney, uh, C-H-E-R-Y-L-B as in boy, I-N-N. I.e., because I cannot have an easy name. <laughs> but yeah, it's not I as bad as some. Platform a little bit more, and you know, having stuff to give out freebies to start building an email list when I know I'm getting a little bit closer to launching. Excellent, and I will absolutely promise you in front of the millions of listeners, <laughs> is that really legal.com, uh, that when you have something ready for people to purchase to read. I will have you back on and we can talk about it. Would you do that? I will. I will probably wait until six months or so because I need the Amazon algorithms to recognize this is young adult fantasy. Here's who I need to recommend it to. So if I am talking about it in other avenues, like I'm not going to talk about it in my business. I'm not going to talk about it to a lot of like extended family because I don't want them to go buy it and confuse Amazon. (laughs) So we'll get all business. Learn what it is. Well, that's great. Whenever I can have you back for that, I'd be happy yeah, to do I'd that. Yeah, love to. Yes. Yeah. And if people want to know more, uh, they can always also go to isthatreallylegal.com to see what I post about you when this is up. And also there's a place for people to leave me messages, uh, keep them clean and keep them pleasant. So far, <laughs> so good. Well, is there anything you feel like you wanted to talk to people or me about that you didn't get a chance to yet? Oh goodness. I don't, I didn't have anything prepped in mind. Um, That's fine. You don't have to. This was just going to be a wonderful conversation with my friend, Eric, and we would, you know, talk about stuff that we both love to talk about. So, yeah. Do do you feel like that happened? Did we have a lovely conversation? I think so. Good. I think so too. I hope you, I I hope you think so. (laughs) I absolutely do. And I want to make sure that you give hug, uh, give hug. Give Matt a big hug from Holly and myself. I will. And we'll talk more offline. I will. But uh, Cheryl Binney, thank you so much for being on Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Wasn't Cheryl Binney awesome? Again, you can get more information about her at copylove, that's C-O-P-Y-L-U-V, dot com. If you love this show, please leave a review. Also, subscribe. Also, want to talk to me or have questions or concerns or comments? Go to isthatreallylegal.com and leave me a message. Um, We're going to be here. Please take care of yourself and others. Yes, get the vaccine. Yes, wear a mask. We're so close to being done. Could we just enough already, really? Greatly appreciate it. And keep coming back for more interesting people, fun content. We're going to be here. I hope you'll be here too. All right, till next time. Thanks so much. See you soon.